this morning, we are concluding a series we've been in called God Chose Who. We've been in Genesis. 75% of the book of Genesis is about three people, Abraham, Jacob, and Joseph. So far, we've talked about Abraham. We've talked about Jacob. Last week, we talked about Jacob's son, Judah, and an interesting time he had with his daughter-in-law. If you missed it, I would encourage you to listen to it. But what we've been looking at is how God is able uh, to work out his purpose through the people that he's chosen, even though, even though they make some really poor decisions and do some pretty crazy things. This week, I want to talk about Joseph. 14 chapters are dedicated to Joseph's story. That's 28%. 28% of the 75% which I used a calculator, now I'm just confused. But a lot of chapters are dedicated to Joseph. The difference between Joseph and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Judah is he's the only person mentioned here in the family where not one sin of his is recorded. The story of Joseph is not a cautionary tale like the story of maybe Judah or the story of Jacob or the story of Abraham can be. What it really is, is Joseph is a picture of Jesus. He is a precursor to Jesus. Now, the Old Testament is full of what we call shadows and types and symbols of Jesus. The entire Old Testament is pointing to Jesus, the ultimate fulfillment of God's plan. You can say it like this. In the Old Testament, it's Jesus concealed. And in the New Testament, it's Jesus revealed. Everything in the Old Testament, it's just pointing to Jesus. This morning, what I want to do, I want to look at the story of Joseph, and I just want us to see Jesus. We're, we're one week from Easter, entering into what we call Holy Week, the most uh, prolific and important week historically of Christianity. If there is no resurrection, there is no hope, and we have no reason to be here today. But there was a resurrection. Right? And so I want us to just be conscious this week of Jesus. And I don't want us just to rush to the resurrection. I want us to think about Good Friday, Holy Saturday, and Resurrection Sunday. Those three days, there's three days of Easter that are really important. And I just want us this week to think about, be conscious of Jesus as we contemplate him in this holy week and what he did. Now, I told you, 14 chapters. I'm not going to read them all to you, but we are going to read quite a bit of Scripture today and look at the story. And what I really just want us to do today is just to learn and just see Jesus. I've got just five things, five uh, parallels that I want us to see between the story of Joseph and Jesus. Now, Joseph, he is the son of Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons, but Jacob also had four wives. Nobody said it. Amen, right? Four wives, two of which he had Rachel and Leah. He loved Rachel. Rachel was his favorite. Joseph was Rachel's son. Joseph was the favorite son. Now, the Bible doesn't advocate having multiple wives. It simply just tells us that there were people who had multiple wives. And some people say that the Bible is in favor of polygamy, but it really isn't because every person in the Scripture that had multiple spouses had multiple problems, right? <laughs> Really, really. And I'm not blaming women. I'm just blaming, you know, seriously, at all. It, God is, does not sanction it, you know. But, but Joseph was his favorite. And Jacob had a favorite. I mean, Isaac had a favorite. And 
Rebecca had a favorite. There's favoritism that plays itself in this, out in this family, but Joseph was his favorite. Because of Joseph being his favorite, the other brothers hated him. The first thing we'll see in comparison to the person of Jesus Christ is that Joseph was hated and betrayed. I want to read to you the extent of the hate that Joseph's brothers had to him. So this is chapter 37. I'll read about 10 verses here, starting in verse 18. It says, When Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognized him in the distance, and as he approached, they made plans to kill him. Here comes the dreamer, they said. Come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns. We can tell our father a wild animal has eaten him, and then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. But when Reuben heard of their scheme, he came to Joseph's rescue. He said, let's not kill him. Why should we shed any blood? Let's just throw him in the empty cistern here in the wilderness. Then he'll die without our laying a hand on him. But Reuben was secretly planning to rescue Joseph and return him to his father. So when Joseph arrived, his brothers ripped off the beautiful robe he was wearing. They grabbed him and threw him in the cistern. Now the cistern was empty and there was no water. Then just as they were sitting down to eat, they looked up, saw a caravan of camels in the distance coming toward them. It was a group of Ishmaelite traders taking a load of gum, balm, and aromatic resin from Gilead down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, we will be, we'll, what will we gain by killing our brother? We'd have to cover up the crime. Instead, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. And you're like, oh, he's got compassion. So when the Ishmaelites, who were Midianite traders, came by, Joseph's brothers pulled him off, uh, pulled him out of the cistern, sold him into the, to them for 20 pieces of silver, and the traders took him to Egypt. Judah says, hey, Judah says, hey, this is our brother, our flesh and blood. Let's not kill him. Let's just sell him into slavery. Again, last week we saw what Judah did with Tamar, and so you can't be too surprised. So we have Joseph being hated and betrayed. I told you he was hated and betrayed partly because he was the favored son. He was the beloved son of his father. He also had this ability where God gave him dreams, and he interpreted the dreams as being the future. In one of these dreams, he had this dream with these like 11 grains or bundles of wheat, and they were all bowing down to him. And Joseph said, oh, those are my brothers. He knew they were his brothers. So Joseph said, one day, he tells his brothers his dream. You all are going to bow down to me. God gave me this dream. And they're pretty excited about that. (laughs) And he also has a dream where he says, the sun, the moon, and the stars also bowed down to me. Joseph is, is also hated because being the favorite of his father, his father gives him this beautiful robe called the coat of many colors. Beautiful robe, which is just like this outward symbol of like, I'm favored and you are not. And they hated him and they betrayed him and they sell him into slavery for 20 pieces of silver. Jesus comes to this earth. He's the beloved son of his father. He claims to have authority over people. He claims to be a king. He's sold or betrayed by Judas for 30 pieces of silver. And they both did nothing wrong. They were just claiming. So we see that just as Joseph was hated and betrayed, Jesus on this earth, it's a parallel story, is hated and betrayed for being the beloved son of God, for having divine authority, and for just saying that he had divine authority. The Pharisees and ultimately the Jews hated him and condemned him for the things that he was saying. So he's hated and betrayed. The second thing that we see between Joseph and Jesus is is that he's falsely accused. 
So what happens is Joseph is sold into slavery for 20 pieces of silver. The Bible declares that as Joseph was being sold as a slave, sold as a slave, it says the Lord was with Joseph and he was a success. That the greatest height of success for Joseph is as he's being sold as a slave. That's where God intervenes and chooses to speak, saying, I am with Joseph and he is a success. After he's been betrayed, thrown in a pit, sold into slavery, right there. He's sold to a man named Potiphar. Potiphar is a, is a leader in Egypt. Egypt is the most powerful uh, country on the face of the earth in this time. So he goes to Egypt. And he's in Potiphar's house. Potiphar brings him in as a slave, ends up letting him run the house because of the favor that's on him. And here's a false accusation that's levied against Joseph. It says that Joseph was a very handsome and well-built young man. And Potiphar's wife soon began to look at him lustfully. She said, come and sleep with me. But Joseph refused. He said, look, My master trusts me with everything in his entire household. No one here has more authority than I do. He has held back nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. She kept putting pressure on Joseph day after day, but he refused to sleep with her, and he kept out of her way as much as possible. One day, however, no one else was around, and when he went out to do his work, she came and grabbed him by his cloak, demanding, Come and sleep with me. But Joseph tore himself away, left his cloak in her hand as he ran from the house. And when she saw that she was holding his cloak and he had fled, she called out to her servants. And soon all the men came running. Look, she said, my husband has brought this Hebrew slave here to make fools of us. He came into my room to rape me, but I screamed. And when he heard me scream, he ran outside and got away, but he left his cloak behind me. So she kept the cloak with her until her husband came home. She told him the story. She said, that Hebrew slave you brought into our house tried to come in and fool around with me. But when I screamed, he ran, leaving his cloak with me. Potter was furious when he heard his wife's story about how Joseph had treated her. So he took Joseph, threw him into the prison where the king's prisoners were held, and there he remained. So what we have here is Joseph, he's a slave, He rises to a position of authority within Potiphar's house. Potiphar's wife thinks he's pretty fine, tries to sleep with him. Joseph's like, no, 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 no. She she attempts to do that. He runs away, and then she accuses him of rape. He's falsely accused. He's falsely accused by his brothers. He's falsely accused by uh, Potiphar's wife, and he's put into prison. And he's betrayed and sold, as we've already said, for 20 pieces of silver. Jesus, too, is falsely accused. He's falsely accused of being an insurrectionist, meaning trying to raise up a rebellion against the Roman Empire. He's falsely accused for being saying, hey, he's a false prophet. He's a false messiah. He's a false king. He's a blasphemer. And he's betrayed by Judas, who's like a brother to him, for 30 pieces of silver. Both of them are falsely accused. Really, here's what's happening. Joseph is suffering for the sins of others. He's suffering for the sins of his brothers, and now he's suffering for the sins of Potiphar's wife. And in the same way, Jesus suffers for the sins of others. Just like Joseph, we have not yet read, and we will not read, of any unrighteous thing that he's done to be guilty of the treatment that he's getting. Yet he's suffering for simply doing what is right. Jesus, 
Bible says is he is found without guilt. Pilate tells Jesus, I find no fault in this man. Pilate was the judge that Jesus stood before. And now Jesus suffers for the sins of others. Whose sins are they? The sins of humanity. Falsely accused. Number three is what we also learn, is that he was exalted as ruler. So what happens is, Joseph goes to prison, again suffering for the sins of others. He has to go down, go down. While he's in prison, he meets two people. He meets a butler and a cupbearer to the king. And they have these dreams. And Joseph is a person that had dreams and can interpret dreams. And they tell, he tells them the dreams. And he says, when these dreams come true, remember me when you're back up serving your master. The master is Pharaoh, the king, the highest ruler of the land. Some time goes by. One of them forgets. But eventually, Pharaoh starts having dreams. They're tormenting him. His wise people, his, his you know, sorcerers can't figure it out. And then one of the guys remembers, oh yeah, hey, I met this dude in prison who can interpret dreams. They bring Joseph before Pharaoh. Joseph interprets the dreams. And then Pharaoh exalts him. I want to read this to you. Says Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the entire land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh removed his signet ring from his hand and placed it on Joseph's finger. Now, this is really important. Egypt is the most powerful nation on the face of the earth, it's an empire. The king, Pharaoh, says, I'm going to place you at my right side. I'm going to have you be in charge of the entire land of Egypt. And then what he does, he takes his ring off. And the ring is a symbol of authority, a symbol of royalty. And he puts the ring on Joseph's finger, making you a king. It says, he dressed him in fine linen clothing, hung a gold chain around his neck. Then he had Joseph ride in a chariot reserved for his second in command. And wherever Joseph went, the command was shouted, kneel down. Remember that dream Joseph had? Kneel down. So Pharaoh put Joseph in charge of all of Egypt. And Pharaoh said to him, I am Pharaoh, but no one will lift a hand or foot in the entire land of Egypt without your approval. In the Egyptian culture, the Pharaoh was seen as a god. The Pharaoh was seen as divine. So Pharaoh, looking at Joseph and saying, I'm going to make you second in charge. Hey, you sit at my right hand and you rule and you carry out the dictates which I've put in place. Hey, here's a ring. Here's some clothes. Here's a chain, here's a scepter, here's a a chariot. You will have all authority. Jesus, in the same way, was exalted to king. But, but here's the thing. They both had to go down before they could come up. Joseph went, he was down in the pit by his brothers. He went down into Egypt geographically. He went down into prison, and then he rose up to be at the right hand of Potiphar to rule and reign. Jesus came down from earth. He went down into Egypt when he was about two years old, fleeting Herod. He went down when he was put in prison. He went down into the grave, and then he ascended to the right hand of the Father. And he rules and reigns as king. Somebody back there got it. We got it halfway, right? It's this picture of Jesus. And in the same way for you and I, as we experience this gift of salvation, we go down with Jesus. And then we come up with him to new life. 
That's why the three days of Easter are so important. Good Friday, the death of Jesus. Holy Saturday, down with Jesus. Resurrection Sunday, coming up with Jesus. That's why we do baptism. Baptism is a symbol of going down in death to sin in the world and coming up as a new creation in Christ. So the Bible says we're seated at the right hand of the Father with Christ Jesus. Here in the book of Genesis, you know I said in this series that there's a lot of things that God could have answered, yet he chose 75% of the book of Genesis to be about three people effectively. Why? Because God's most important story has always been about Jesus. Because here's the thing. The Bible is not a rule book. I hate that term for the Bible. I'm sorry. If you love it, I hate it. We can agree to disagree. I hate it. It's not a rule book. There are rules in it. Don't denigrate it. Don't reduce it. It is a story of redemption, a story of God sending his son to the earth for you and I. It's not just about rules. God chooses to point us in Genesis to, hey, hey, there's one greater. Hey, there's salvation. Hey, there's one that's going to come and go down, but he's going to take you up. So he was exalted as ruler. Joseph is a picture of Jesus. Number four, here's the fourth thing. He was a servant king. And I told you, 14 chapters. There's a whole lot of story going on. But here's what happens. Joseph, he is in charge of all of Egypt. Now, the dreams that he interpreted for Pharaoh were this. Pharaoh had these dreams where he saw seven years of like just bountiful plenty. And then he had a dream where like all the crops and the, and the, the livestock were shriveling up and dying. And, and Joseph said, hey, the Lord is saying that there will be seven years of the great harvest. And then there'll be seven years of famine. And then what Joseph says, here's what we should do. We should take out of the fruitful harvest, we should save, we should store. So in seven years of famine, we will have enough to feed our people in the country. What happens is God so blessed Egypt that the other nations, when they were experiencing famine, there was a legit famine, the other nations are coming to Egypt to survive and for salvation and to get food. Just so happens that Joseph's brothers, Joseph's family, they are dying. They are starving. And Jacob says, we have to go to Egypt to get food. Joseph's brothers, they think he's dead. They told Jacob, their father, that Joseph was dead. They took a goat and they killed a goat, sacrificial goat, put, put blood on the coat, presented it to their father and said, look, a wild beast killed Joseph. They, they think he's dead. They never told their father the truth. But here's what they have to do. They have to go to Egypt. So there's this whole part of the story here where his brothers appear before him. And guess what? For the longest time, they don't recognize Joseph. Joseph, they haven't seen him, let's say, conservatively for 20 years. Joseph is speaking to them in Egyptian through an interpreter. He's not speaking Hebrew to them. And he, and he tests them a little bit. Not because he's, he has, um, he's not playing a game with them. Some people say he was just angry. And I, and I could see that because 20 years of your brothers, they, they sell you into slavery. They try to kill you. 20 years is a good amount of time for anger, bitterness, and resentment to build, isn't it? And he hasn't seen his brothers. And they haven't seen him. He hasn't seen his father. And so he tests them. He, he says, hey, do you have any other brothers? Yes. That's right. <laughs> yes. There was his brother, Benjamin, his youngest brother, who... Jacob loved very much, and Jacob didn't sin Benjamin because he didn't want to happen to Benjamin what happened to Joseph. And they said, well, yeah, we do. And he said, well, I, I, won't, I won't give you anything until, until you bring Benjamin. 
And he gives them just enough to survive their journey. They have to go back, convince their father. They bring Benjamin back. And then what he says is hey, he, he does this thing where he takes one of his gold cups and he puts it in Benjamin's sack and he sends them away with food. And then he sends his guys out and they say, oh, look, you stole this. And he says, we, we are going to execute the person who stole this. And Judah, Judah, the one who sold him into slavery, steps forward and says, no, I will take his place. I will take his place. Don't, don't kill Benjamin. And then it, it, it's then that, that Joseph has to leave the room and, and he, he just weeps and he cries and he sees the remorse in his brothers because they say, you, you can't do that because we cannot allow our father to experience this type of hurt again because our other brother was killed. Again, they don't know it's Joseph. But what's amazing here is, as part of the story, as his brothers come back, still not knowing that, that this guy who's ruling is their brother, they come to serve. They come to bow down before him. The Bible says they do. And Joseph has prepared a feast for them. I want to read it to you. Number four, again, he was a servant king. It says, The waiters served Joseph at his own table, and his brothers were served at a separate table. The Egyptians who ate with Joseph sat at their own table because Egyptians despised Hebrews and refused to eat with them. Joseph told each of his brothers where to sit, and to their amazement, he seated them according to their age from oldest to youngest. Again, they don't know that it's him. And Joseph filled their plates with food from his own table, giving Benjamin five times as much as he gave the others, so they feasted and drank freely with him. Now here's what's interesting. They come needing food. They're starving, they're broken, and they're like, hey, we're just, we're just going to serve Joseph. We're gonna, we, we bow down before him, and here they are, and Joseph has a feast prepared for them, a royal feast. And then what he does is he seats them in according to their birth order. That's really freaking them out. But he served them food from his own table. Now this precedes them having this beautiful reconciling moment, which we're going to read here in a moment. But, but what I really want to point out is this. So often, we look at God, and we come to him saying, I want to gain access, approval, and acceptance, God, and so I'm just going to serve. I'm just going to do. i got to impress. i got to bring something. And we forget that what Jesus said when he came to earth, he said, I came not to be served, but to serve. Now, serving God is a part of being a Christ follower, but serving does not initiate our relationship with God. What initiates our relationship with God is him serving us. That's why when Jesus had a meal with his disciples and he, he said, I want to wash your feet. That's why Peter said, there is no way that Jesus, you are going to wash my feet. That is the position of a servant. That person who washes feet is almost seen as less than human. You will not wash me, Jesus. And Jesus says, Peter, unless I wash you, you have no part of me. And Peter says, well, you can wash me from the head to the toe then. We are all like Peter, saying, God, you, you can't serve me. God, I've got, I've got all this, this stuff. I've messed up. I'm full of remorse. Just like Joseph's brothers. Hey, we, 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 our brother, he, he died. And, and, and we're looking at God, saying, God, I've got to serve you. God, I've got to serve you. And God's saying, no, no, first you've got to let me serve you. You have to receive what I've done in the person of Jesus. The Gospel of Mark calls Jesus the servant king. He came to serve. And in our effort to serve, in our effort to impress, in our effort to gain access and approval to God, we're saying, look what I got, look what I got, look what I got. And God is saying, I know, but I want you to receive Jesus. We're not going to impress God. 
There's not an amount of money that you can give, amount of service that you can bring, amount of good acts that you can do where God says, okay, now you've earned it because it's not something that you earn. It's only something that you receive. Only something that you receive. It ceases to be a gift the moment you earn it. How many of you view your paycheck as a gift? Oh, no, 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 no. You earned it. Your boss doesn't give you a gift. You earned it. You worked for it. The gospel is not a paycheck. It's a gift. And you receive it. If you get money for your birthday, that's a gift. That's a gift. You receive it. That's all that we can do. And here his brothers are sitting at this table being served. They don't deserve it. They didn't earn it. And they're, they're amazed by it. And here's that leads to number five, which is, is so amazing, is this. Is, is that he forgives and reconciles and saves. This here, the culmination, this is chapter 45. This is the culmination of the entire uh, Joseph story with his brothers and really just a beautiful picture of what is to come for all of humanity because Joseph's brothers represent humanity. We are all Joseph's brothers coming to the king. And I want you to hear, and I'll point out, but I want you to hear the language that, that they use and that Joseph uses toward them because this is such a picture of Jesus. Finally, finally, Joseph reveals himself to his brother. He said, look, I am Joseph. He said, is, is, is my father still alive? Can you imagine this? You've been sold into slavery. You haven't seen your family in 20 plus years. He says, I am Joseph. He speaks to them in their own language, his, his, his mother language. He said, is my father still alive? He says, but his brothers were speechless. They were stunned to realize that Joseph was standing in front of them because they knew, knew that he was dead. And listen to this. Listen to what Joseph says to them. He says, please come closer. And I just think that is what God is saying to all of us through Jesus. God is saying, hey, humanity, come closer. Please come closer. But a lot of us hear God saying, please get away. Please fix yourself. Please stop being stupid. But yet the message of the gospel is, please Come closer. Please come closer. So they came closer. And he said again, I am Joseph, your brother, who you sold into slavery. See, he doesn't, he doesn't deny what happened to him. He's truthful. Hey, you sold me into slavery, but listen to this. He says, don't be upset. Don't be angry with yourselves for selling me into, into slavery. Wow. Hey. I know you've had 20 plus years to think of this and to mull it over in your mind and you are so full of guilt, you are so full of shame and you are so full of condemnation, but I want you to hear it from me. Don't be angry with yourselves. Don't be upset with yourselves. Some of us think that when we come to God, all he's gonna do is say, well, you did this, 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 this. You're gonna get an encyclopedia of your life and it's gonna be so bad. But God is saying, look, yeah, I know everything you did. You betrayed me. You sinned. Don't be angry with yourself. Don't be upset. Come closer. He said, it was God. Listen to this. It was God who sent me ahead of you to preserve your lives. He said, this famine has ravaged the land for two years and will last five more years, and there will be neither plowing nor harvesting, but God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. And he repeats it again. So it was God. He says it three times. So it was God who sent me here, not you. 
And he is the one who made me an advisor to Pharaoh, the manager of this entire place and governor of all of Egypt. Listen to that. Hey, hey, guys, you sold me into slavery, but I'm telling you what, God was at work. And you want to know why he sent me here, why I became a slave, why I went into prison, and why I had to suffer all of that so that I could save your lives. Wow. And I think it's the same thing that Jesus says. Hey, look, hey, I was sent ahead of you, and I suffered for you. And yes, ultimately, our sins put him on the cross, but, but hey, I came to save you. This is the message of the story of Joseph, is one of salvation. God sent me ahead of you to not only save your lives, but to save the lives of many. Hey, you, you thought you were going to kill me? You thought you were going to make me a slave? No, 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 no. God had a different thing in mind, and I stand before you, the second most powerful man probably in the known world, and I choose to forgive, and I choose to save. Because Joseph had ultimate authority over their lives, didn't he? He controlled their destiny. And yet what he chose to do with it was to give them a feast, was to say, come close, I forgive you. And then what he does is he goes to Pharaoh. They say, yes, Jacob, or Joseph, Jacob is still alive. Your father's alive. Pharaoh says, bring your entire family here to Egypt. In fact, we're going to give them this whole land called Goshen, and we're going to bless them. All of Joseph's family comes, and they're restored, and they're saved. But just think about it. If the brothers represent humanity, they come before God starving, famished, with nothing left, saying we just we need from you. We'll, we'll do whatever it takes. That's where we are before God. Broken, starving, famished because we tried everything, done everything, and we're still broken. I mean, you can be broken and famished and be successful. You can have money. You can have stuff, you can have accolades, you can have all of that, but still be broken, still be starving. You can have everything that you thought you wanted, you can achieve it, and still be thirsty. And that's where they're at. And just think, the one person they tried to get rid of because they hated and betrayed and falsely accused is the one who forgives and heals and restores and feeds them and replenishes them. Man, that's the picture of Jesus. And then, in chapter 50, the end of the book of Genesis, Jacob has died, Joseph's father. And we see the brothers coming back to Joseph. And I think it's such a picture of what it looks like for us at times to have be Christ followers and yet still live with fear. Listen to this. After burying Jacob, Joseph returned to Egypt with his brothers, all who had accompanied him to his father's burial. But now that their father was dead, Joseph's brothers became fearful. They said, now Joseph will show us his anger and pay us back for all the wrong we did to him. So they sent message to Joseph, hey, before your father died. They don't even say are. They say before your father died. He instructed us to say to you, please forgive your brothers for the great wrong they did to you, for their sin in treating you so cruelly. So we, the servants of God of your father, beg you to forgive our sin. Listen to Joseph's response. When Joseph received the message, he broke down and wept. Why did he weep? He wept because they only thought that he loved them and forgave them because of Jacob. They couldn't receive the forgiveness and the love and the reconciliation. They thought it was contingent upon something else. It says, then his brothers came to and threw themselves down before Joseph. And here's what they said to Joseph. Look, we are your slaves. But Joseph replied to them, do not be afraid of me. 
Am I God that I can punish you? He said, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. And he reiterates to them what he said back in chapter 45. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. I think so often we look at God and we say, there's got to be a statute of limitations on your forgiveness. There's got to be an expiration date to this thing, right? We're looking underneath the carton you know, of salvation. When does this thing expire? You know, and it, it can survive a nuclear holocaust, right? It's like that food you buy online. It doesn't expire. There's no statute of limitations to his forgiveness. And so many times we position ourselves before God like the brothers did before Joseph at the end here as slaves. Can I just tell you something? We're not slaves to God. God never once says, I'm going to make you my slave because of Jesus. He said, no, I'm going to make you my son and my daughter, and you will be born again, and you'll be a son and a daughter of God by birth and not by worth. Yet because we believe there's a statute of limitations or an expiration date, or we've done some things in our life, we come before God and we say, hey, 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 man, I'm afraid of you. I'm your slave. Can you just forgive me? And I think it breaks the heart of God just like it breaks the heart of Joseph because I think Joseph is thinking, what more do I have to do? to demonstrate my love and forgiveness for you. There's only one thing that Joseph had to do. Don't be afraid of me. Stand up. You're my brothers. And I think if, if Easter can ask a question for us, God would say, what more do I have to do for you not to see yourself as a slave, but as a son and a daughter? Is Jesus enough? Is the gospel enough? And if we don't believe it's a gift and we treat it like a paycheck, it'll never be enough. I've never gotten a paycheck and thought, that's enough. I just thought, I want more. Right? No. It's a gift, and we receive the gift. Receive it. I think it's amazing that that God chooses to end the book of Genesis with the death of Joseph but really with this story, ultimately, of reconciliation and forgiveness. Aren't you glad he didn't end it on Judah and Tamar? With a father sleeping with his daughter-in-law. and William, what in the world's going on? No, 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 he ends it with a picture of salvation. He ends it with a hope of saying, hey, look, in the future, there's going to be a greater Joseph. And he won't have to ask his brothers, am I God? He will say, I am God, and I choose not to punish you. I choose to forgive you because I've taken that punishment upon myself. So come close and stand up and be a son and be a daughter, not of worth, but of birth. I mentioned the three days of Easter to you, and I'm going to end this message purposely down, a bit more somber, Because we are getting ready to go into Holy Week. And I want us to consider what Jesus did. I want us to consider, like in the message, that he was hated and betrayed. That he was falsely accused. That he suffered for the sins of others. That he had to go down before he could come up. I want us to, to think about that. Obviously, Resurrection Sunday, we're going to come on Easter and we're going to celebrate. Right? Easter is a celebratory day. It is Resurrection Sunday. 
But let us, let us not pass up Good Friday and Holy Saturday. Let us not forget what happened to the disciples and the followers when they saw Jesus go to the cross and they saw him go to the grave and they deserted because they thought all hope was gone. Yes, we have the end of the story. But may we consider that Jesus was betrayed, sold for 30 pieces of silver. He was arrested. He was beaten. He was whipped. He was thrown into a pit. He was crucified. He suffered. He died. He went into the grave for three days. And no one took his life. No one did any of that against his will. He said, I have come to give my life as a ransom for many. He gave his life. He laid down his life for you and me. And he suffered not for himself, but for you and me. May we think about that. May we contemplate that. May we not just pass over that to get just to the good part. If you remove all of that, we have no context to worship on Easter morning of Resurrection Sunday. I'm going to pray for you, and then when I'm done, I'm going to say amen, and you can just be dismissed and walk out and think and come prepared next week with a friend and to celebrate, all right? Heavenly Father, I thank you. Oh, I thank you for Jesus. In fact, Father, one of our our values here is it's all about Jesus. Holy Spirit, I ask you, help us to see Jesus. Help us to see him not just in Scripture, but help us to see, a, see him in our lives and in the, in the difficult situations as well as in the, in, the, in the rejoicing situations of our lives. Give us a greater context for who he is. Father, I thank you in your word that you chose people. Yes, that were broken. Yes, that were hurting. But you ultimately accomplished your purpose through them. The promise you gave to Abraham is that all the world would be blessed. Jesus comes through the line of Abraham, and the ultimate fulfillment of that is in him. Father, I just pray this week, give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear, bring people in our paths that we can minister to, and we just pray you fill this place up, God, so that people can meet you, Jesus. We thank you, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 